Hello and welcome to Setting the Scheme. I'm Ben. I'm Doug. And Tristan and Elijah are skipping out this week, which I cannot Where believe. Where the heck are these fellas? You know, I I, I don't know, honestly. Um, but, but you want to know something, Ben? I personally think that we got an equally amazing guest to fill absolutely. in. Absolutely. A guest who is so incredible that he is as good as having two other people on the podcast. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, his students know him as Mr. G. Uh, some people know him as uh, the most interesting man in the world. Um, Doug and I, uh, we call him Logan. <laughs> yep. As does my mom. Hello, I'm Logan. <laughs> Welcome nice back, to Logan. Be here. Welcome Thank back. you. Uh, Logan time, is third time's the charm. Yeah, Logan is a semi-regular guest. Uh, I know you were on for the Amazing Spider-Man back in the Some Jerks days, mm-hmm. and um, that. Wes Anderson movie with the brothers. What's Darjeeling Limited. Mm. Darjeeling Limited. That that's yeah. the other one. Yeah. That's a that's a about that one. Uh, but you know, we're not talking yeah. about Wes Anderson or about the Thwip Thwip Spider-Man. Are we talking uh, about Howard Duck? Because I was here for Howard Duck now that you I were here for Howard the Duck. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh wow. That was the time. I okay, hold on, wait, pause on this. Cause I went to a uh I went to a restaurant at in Georgia over uh, Christmas break. And we found this like movie themed restaurant. It was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was delicious food, but we found this movie themed restaurant and on their back wall, I kid you not, this entire wall was a mural of Howard the duck from the movie, Howard the duck. I need to know where this place is. It's uh, in Warner Robins, Georgia. I, okay. I, used, I, don't I used to go to Warner Robins all the time. Cause that's where my grandma seriously taking notes over here. Hold on, wait, wait. I'll find out. I'll find out. All right. Well, while Doug is looking that up, uh, (laughs) let's talk about the movie that we actually did watch. Uh, It was 2001's Moulin Rouge. Uh, And I'm going to throw it back to Doug, who should have the information up. I do have the information pulled up. I do have the information pulled up. Yeah, this is. This is the two, uh, 2001 uh, smash hit Moulin Rouge, uh, directed by Baz Luhrmann, or Baz Luhrmann, I've heard it pronounced either way. Um, stars Nicole Kidman, Ewan McGregor, uh, John Leguizamo, Jim Broadbent, uh, Richard Roxborough, and a whole lot of other people. Kylie Minogue is in this. You know, I didn't know that, but Kylie Minogue is in this. Um uh ratings wise this movie has a 76 on rotten tomatoes and 84 percent on the google a 7.6 out of 10 on mdba i don't know why i did in that uh order and ben would you care to tell us what this movie has on common sense media he is pulling it up but while he's pulling it up i'll let you know uh box office information for this movie so this movie was made on a budget of 50 million dollars and you can see it every single one of those 50 million dollars is on the screen and it brought in a gross of $184.9 million. Uh, and that was in 2001 money. And I'm assuming that's a that's uh, adjusted for inflation, but I could be wrong. All right. Uh, um, common sense. We have four out of five stars. Four out of five stars. Need so, it. yeah, this uh, this movie's this movie is very, very, uh, I think, well reviewed by critics mm-hmm. uh it was a smash hit when it came out um and uh you know it's got a, a tony award-winning musical uh, adaptation of it that premiered last year uh aaron Tivet, who played christian 
uh, won the Best Actor Tony. And the only reason I bring that up is because he was the only person nominated in the Best Actor category hmm. uh, for guess, the Tonys. That I, I guess year. that'll uh, get you the win. It was, you know what though? Here's the funny thing. So the way the Tony Awards work, there was actually a possibility of him not winning and being the only person nominated because you have to have sixty percent. I think you have to have sixty percent of members vote in favor of you. Oh, that Um, would be horrible to be the only person nominated and still lose. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, that's amazing though. I love that. I love it so much. No, I have Um, a. I have a beef with the play. I mean, it's a petty beef, but about two years before the play came out, when I first saw this movie, I already thought it was a Broadway play because of the way it was directed. I said, mm-hmm. oh, can I ever see this play? And my friend Tristan who showed it to me was like, a different Tristan, was like, uh, no, this is just a movie. I said, oh, well, I should make that into a play or someone should. And I never did. So that's where the pettiness comes. I never tried, but still someone stole my idea. I know, and they but didn't credit like, you. Much like the sushi burrito. Hey. I came up with the idea for a sushi burrito, then one opened up in Gainesville a year later. And I said, okay. You should have gone in there and demanded your money. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. For coming up with the uh, idea. Logan, I do have an idea, though, for a, a musical. Um, if, if you would like to uh, help me out with it. Is it uh, Cars 2, the musical? Because uh, Logan already had that idea. Falls. Uh, Stone had the idea, and I was oh, ready Stone to had that idea. My bad. So, <laughs> I remember you so were heavily she- involved with that. Yes, so, so hear me out. Hear me out, Logan. I'm thinking we do a jukebox musical uh, inspired by the Lonely Island. Ooh, that's a niche thing for a niche audience, and I'm here for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it'd be great. I don't know what that is. Lonely Island is the music group Wait, comprised, of, uh, uh, comprised of comprised uh, of or uh, Andy Samberg, Andy Samberg, um, Andy and Samberg. The other two. Uh, yeah, and the other two they did. Uh, and the other, the two. cast of Hot Rod, basically the cast of Hot Rod, the never cast of it. Palm Springs, um, cast oh, of did see Palm Pop Springs. Star, Never Stopping, yeah. Never Stop, yeah. Never Stopping. Yeah, they're besides I'm on a boat. One of their biggest songs was Jack Sparrow, where Michael Bolton sings about Jack Sparrow over the top of like a club rap song. Yeah, it's great, it's beautiful. I love it. I'm here for All it. right. Well, none of those are the movie that we talked about or that yeah, we watched sorry. this week. So let's stop talking about those. Sorry. Doug, so what Moulin happens Rouge. in this movie? Uh, well, you know what? It's it's your classic star-crossed lover story set in the Bohemian era of Paris, France, um, where a young writer, Christian, uh, comes to France in order to write about all things that are true and just and above all things, love. There's just one problem. He's never been in love, but he soon falls in love with the courtesan known as uh, <clears throat> with the courtesan known as why did I just blank on her name? The sparkling diamond satin. Wow. That how was did you really forget that we had a whole conversation about that was really just dumb the name satin because, you know, Christian and satin. Yeah, that was really Christian stupid. Satan kind of thing. Um, Oh, I didn't but, uh, put two I didn't together put on that. that. Together. I oh, didn't gotcha. put that together. But uh, but yeah, so he meets this young courtesan uh, named uh, Satine, and Satine falls in love with him when she shouldn't because she's a courtesan. Uh, a lot has been promised to this big fancy dude. 
Yeah, the Duke who the Duke. is played who is played by the guy from Austin Powers. Um, yep. And uh, yeah, one thing leads to another. She dies. He goes on, writes, uh, makes like no money or does really anything with his life. Um, a large yeah, part of the uh, movie there, Doug. Sorry. They Spoilers fall in love on and this then movie she dies. That is now 21 years old. And at the very beginning of the movie, he does state the love of my life is dead. Yeah, Stop. which everyone everyone should respond with spoiler alert. Except for the first time I watched the movie, I did miss the fact that he said that because it was so quiet on the TV. So I was very surprised at the end. That's a, in the beginning of the movie kind of caught me off guard too. Because um, it the way that I watched it, which I, I was also uh, watching this during my lunch break, so I was only kind of half paying attention. Um, it kind of set it up like I thought that um, it was going to be uh, like she loved him, but then she just kind of abruptly left him to go be with the Duke. And like it wasn't like they were actually still in love the whole time. And then they were still in love the whole time. It was not what I was expecting. But anyway, that was yeah, my that, first that time watching the movie. How, what, tell me about y'all's first experiences with this movie. How'd y'all find it? How did it find you? Logan, you, you want to take this away for us? Sure. Um, in the beginning of the summer of 2015, just graduated high school, me and my uh, good friend Tristan went up to Ohio. We came back down from Ohio, and then he said, I'm going to show you um, Phantom of the Opera and Moulin Rouge. Uh, I was a big fan of Phantom of the Opera, but we did Moulin Rouge second, and then that one just stole the show. I was like, okay, this is fantastic. So I've seen it many times since then. That first time, like I said, didn't hear the beginning part, so the ending really surprised me. And yeah, the thing that really drew me in that first time was mostly the music which i already knew a little bit about because in chorus class my friend aaron just mentioned that we should do like a choral adaptation it smells like teen spirit like in moulin rouge so that's the first time i heard the word moulin rouge and i was like huh, that sounds like my kind of movie and so with the music from elton john to nirvana to queen to the police um yeah i just really enjoyed it the way that they lay out the jukebox musical where every song um, is in a different style than their original versions. So that drew me in. Ewan McGregor watching Obi-Wan in a love story was fantastic. I'm glad that he chose to do this between episodes two and three or episodes one and two, excuse me. Um, really connected with me and train spotting somewhere in there too. Ewan McGregor was busy at the time. Yeah. <laughs> and um yeah, even though the love story seems like, like it's not like they have a bunch in common. Well, they have commons just that they're in love. But that was with the music enough for me to be really encapsulated by the love part of it too. And so a lot of it hits pretty hard emotionally. So that was my overall experience the first time I watched it. I thought, granted, at the beginning, I said, what kind of movie are you showing me, Tristan? Because, you know, the beginning's just basically a giant drug trip for the first 30 minutes. And then once um, you McGregor uh, bust out in your song, Belton John, I think that's really the turning point in the movie. And now I enjoy the first part as well, but it's still after that, from that part and beyond, it's still my favorite part. Yeah. I So 
so I was aware of this movie uh, very, like I would say towards the end of middle school, I became aware of this movie. I hadn't mm-hmm. seen it yet, uh, but my freshman year, I took a trip to uh, to London and Paris and we passed by the actual Moulin Rouge uh, bordello. We didn't go... Yeah, as a as a <laughs> as a young high schooler, I feel I should put it out there that I did not go into the Bordello Moulin Rouge. Was it I a saw, school trip? Yeah, it was a school trip. It was led and by they my, did uh, not let you go. Oh, wow, it was I, led by I my French shocked. teacher, uh, Joanna Arnold. Uh, she did not uh, she did not allow us to go into the Moulin Rouge. Um, but you know, we passed by the famous uh, red uh, windmill that's out there, mm-hmm. and I saw it and I was like, oh, Moulin Rouge, it's like the movie. Um, so when I got back home, I tried to watch it and I just couldn't get through it. Um, honestly, the first, the first 30 minutes, like Logan said, it's a drug trip and I, I could not get through it. Um, so flash forward to 2020, you know, in the middle of everything being shut down, I watched this movie, uh, for the first time, uh, added it to my list from 2020 and I really enjoyed the music, really enjoyed the music, did not love the story, uh, but I think that the music is fantastic, uh, and these guys already know it, but come what may, it will be played at my wedding. It will be played at my wedding. Um, from the moment I heard that song, I was like, yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's that will be played. Yep, that was easily the best song in the entire movie. Well, it's also, uh, I also it, say it's that, only original one. Yes, I also say that as um, the one person here that did not enjoy the music in this movie. Um, mm. I personally am not a fan of jukebox musicals at all. Um, I think a lot of times you end up with music that just does not fit. Um, although I think this movie made some interesting choices with the music, specifically the... Uh, mix of the tango and Roxanne by the police. Uh, I thought that was a very interesting scene. It, well, it's uh, great. It, it is a great It completely scene. took me out of the movie when it first started and you just get this deep gravelly voice going, Roxanne. I, I was completely taken out of it. But as, the scene, you saying it. <laughs> mm-hmm. but as the scene progressed, I kind of got back into it a little bit, but I don't know. Overall, I was not a big fan of the music. Um, not that it necessarily was done poorly. Um, I more just don't like jukebox musicals. Totally fair. And then I, Come What May, of course, easily best song in the entire movie. And I think it's really funny, uh, Come What May, because I think that's like universally just kind of agreed on as like the best song from this musical. But what's crazy is that it could not be considered an original song for this movie uh, yep. because... So Baz Luhrmann put out a movie in, I believe, 1999. Uh, 96. His, 96. Uh, it was his version of Romeo and Juliet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, if you if you look it up, it's Romeo plus Juliet. Uh, it's got Leonardo for DiCaprio. Which, um, Come What May was written. Yeah, so Come What May was written for that movie, but they wound up cutting the scene that they used it in. But because it was, uh, because it was written song. for that movie because it was written for that movie, they couldn't count it as a original song. And so they couldn't enter into the Academy Awards and everybody was mad because like mm-hmm. easily the best original song of the year wasn't even counted. And I think what frustrates me more is given how good Come What May is, it makes me want to know 
how good the rest of the music could have been if it was all more original pieces instead of taking these songs that are already popular and um, writing their own rendition of it to fit it into this very niche movie. Okay, I I get where you're I get where you're coming from, but I think also like similar to Roxanne, when I heard "Smells Like Team Spirit," taken out of the moment. When I heard uh, your song, taken out of the moment, every single time, it took me completely out of it. So I personally would argue the only two times I was really ever taken out by a song was uh, "Smells Like Teen Spirit" and "Sound of Music." And Another moment, taken right yeah. out. Sound of music sound, sound taken, in a weird place. Yeah, sound of music's in a really weird place. And also, like, like there's one thing to have a jukebox musical with a bunch of popular covers, with a, a bunch of covers of popular songs. But to take a musical theater song and put it into a musical mm-hmm. um, with, like, the same arrangement, the same everything, it's just weird. And then, like, the bad versions before Ewan McGregor busted out. Mm-hmm. and it's just like come on guys yeah and I, Doug I understand like how that, you didn't I'm get through the first time too, yeah. well also I mean also I mean you know the first 30 minutes let's just let's just get this out of the way Baz Luhrmann is a very interesting director mm-hmm. he before we shoot- get there I do just want to I have one last comment about the music and then I'll shut up about it okay I think you and McGregor's lip syncing throughout this movie is absolutely horrible there are some uh scenes that i noticed where he was supposed to be like singing specific words and just looked like he was moving his mouth not even like shaping it to the words of the song however very distracting just like everything else in this movie. actual singing on the songs oh yeah beautiful is gorgeous no i think ewan mcgregor is incredibly talented as a vocal artist yeah anyway continue and, with what you were doing i'm sorry go, sorry. go ahead Logan. If, if we're about to leave out of music I just want to say I like Nicole Kidman's voice a lot. Mm-hmm. I think anyone, I think a lot of actresses could have done like the same kind of thing with their mm-hmm. voice. But and um, after the first time I watched, it, I just looked up all sorts of stuff. There were a lot of famous actresses and actors who auditioned for the leads in mm-hmm. um, this one. But um, yeah, I really like her as Satine. Yeah, and, I think they also performed really well together. Yeah, and their voices mesh well. They've got that being said, chemistry. my favorite song in there, um, though come what may, is probably the one I've listened to the most. Elephant Love Medley is um, it's that one in your song. I've always been my favorite. I love Elephant Mo- Love Medley. The Elephant Love Medley was the first thing I ever heard from the movie. It was mm-hmm. the first thing I ever like. It was the thing that got me like introduced to the movie. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was a big old surprise for me when I saw. I said, "Oh, I know these. Oh, it's a mashup. Nice." So yeah. And it's, I think, I think if you were to kind of take a look at the way that the different songs transition into transition from the scene to the song, I think Elephant Love Medley is arguably like the best transition from talking to song. Um, yeah, and it's just because they actually you know, take the time to do that transition. Yeah, they actually like fully transition from, you know, we're talking, we're having this conversation and you hear Christian like drop like a couple, a couple lines of, um, yeah, he goes, love is a many splendid thing. Love lifts us up where we belong. All you need, all is, you love. need is love. 
And then you get a couple more lines of dialogue and then he goes into uh, all you need is love. And then it just transitions into this whole beautiful medley that ends with, I will always love you. Um, So yeah, uh, love medley is gorgeous. Also, uh, I will also just say that um, I adore Ewan McGregor's, why can I not talk today? I adore Ewan McGregor's version of your song. I think it's great. Good. That's not to say that it's better than Owen John's because of course it's, it's not. Because of, of course it's not, but it's not supposed to be. <laughs> um, and it's great. I think it's, I think it's a beautiful version of that song. And I will also say that, and this is just because I haven't, I've listened to very little popular music, um, but I heard Ewan McGregor sing your song before I ever heard Elton John sing your song. Gotcha. Um, so it will always hold a very special place in my heart um, Mm. just his version because I think it's gorgeous Uh, but uh, I think I think one of the reasons that the movie as a whole and I, I, I say this as someone who really does love the music in this I think the music's the saving grace of this movie but I think uh the thing that kind of makes this movie so hard to swallow, uh, at least for myself, and I know that Ben has spoken to this a little bit too, the editing in this movie is atrocious. It's This awful. movie made me actually feel sick to my stomach watching it. That, that being said, did you guys watch Romeo plus Juliet 96? No, no. Okay, but, well. But that was, that was what I was going to bring then, up. Because... He, he has not changed at all. That's exactly yeah. the same. Yeah. Uh, and I was, one, yeah. yeah, I was going to, I was going to bring up that fact that this is Baz Luhrmann style. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. he's very, he, he does it down for great Gatsby. You did tell yeah. it down for that. Yeah. So there's he not does, a single shot that lasts more than like five seconds before it abruptly cuts to something else. Yeah. Yeah. He does this very absurdly fast editing. Um, and, you know, everything's colored beautifully and it mm-hmm. looks it looks gorgeous the set design oh my gosh it's the just such an oversaturation of it though that with the such quick cutting like i honestly felt sick well i mean like, it's just it's just it's constantly moving it's constantly flashing mm-hmm. there's no flow to it it's just scene 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 mm-hmm. scene scene christian scene scene yep. Which I will and, say, uh, despite that, I think he does a good job still like having scenes that weigh on you. I mean, there are some like scenes that uh, happen in the movie that, that like really stood out. And it's like I kind of sat and thought about it for a second, which is interesting, given that everything is so quick, trying to move on to the next thing before you even really have time to take it in. Yeah. And I don't know. Um, how intentional his directions are but pretty much any time it comes down to a concept of love or Christian and Satine or of the oncoming death with all the consumption tuberculosis um, anytime it gets to one of those the anything that's fast that's happening always slows down and there's meaningful acting there's meaningful looks mm-hmm. there's meaningful um, background music that lets you sit for a second but I can see how it's jarring going from those scenes right back into the hectic stuff, mm-hmm. which um, first time I saw it really threw me off. But I think from seeing Romeo plus Juliet so many times because I show it to my students, 
as well as seeing this movie so many times i can't tell if i really do love the whole quick wild thing into the slow meaningful stuff or if i'm just really used to it i can't make that distinction anymore so i think i'm fully biased for saying that i enjoy the quick stuff now because it makes me appreciate the slow stuff when we get there but it is exhausting and i think you're right about that logan because you know uh still the first 30 minutes of this movie is really hard for me to get through just personally just because yeah. it's so but it has kylie what's her face she plays uh, the green yeah kylie minogue is in this at the very beginning of the movie i didn't know that until today but she is um yep, that's very but uh but you know so so knowing where this movie gets it does make it harder for me to get through the first 30 minutes but also mm-hmm. i'm much more willing to stay in it because i know that as soon as it starts to slow down as soon as really as soon as christian and Satine meet the movie starts hitting the brakes just a little bit now granted there are a lot of there are a lot of little pop-ups of weird weirdness in there but mm-hmm. it does start to slow down and it starts to sit with you more it's just there's so much exposition that he's got to get out. There's so much quick pace, like, all right, we got to go, 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 go. And that's why you get all this really quick cut editing because you got a lot of stuff to fill in in a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. Yeah. I, I really do think you guys should watch Romeo and Juliet at some point, and you'll be like, oh, this is literally how Milan Rouge begins. They have Mercutio doing the same thing that Zidler does in the same kind of party thing and then romeo meets meets juliet the whole thing slows down this guy has a type he loves doing that well well i will say like i mean like again i'm aware of i'm aware of the fact that it is his style and like i've seen um i've seen australia and i've seen great gatsby so yeah like i mean i i get it i just this one this one was just a lot yeah to get i Mm -hmm. I wish I knew what the reception of audiences like just out and about talking about it was in 2001 because I was um, four and then uh, Ben, you're a little kid too and uh, you're a wee lad. And so, yeah, I want to know what the kind of buzz was about. Was it mostly people being like, that's the weirdest crap I've ever seen? Or was it a lot like what the critics were saying where they're like, it's weird, but we love it. So. so- I mean, I can't really speak uh, to uh, to specific audience reviews. I can tell you right now, the movie holds an eighty nine percent audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow! But but what's really interesting about it is that this movie came out in a period of time where movie musicals weren't really being made. They they kind of had a point in the late eighties, early nineties where much like the horror genre did at that time, everything everything kind of started to lean too much into camp, too much into uh, stale just tropes. Because like late 80s, like you get Xanadu, which is a musical starring uh, Olivia Newton-John. She is, it's, I've never seen Xanadu. It's very trippy, like disco-esque music in the late 80s, which doesn't really fit. Uh, She's on roller skates like the entire time. Um, it's interesting. I lo- like the song Xanadu, I think is really good. Um, but, um, but some mu- movie musicals kind of were brought to a halt and they weren't seen as much of a viable option, uh, mm-hmm. for the, 
majority of the 90s. And a lot of people credit Moulin Rouge for sort of reinvigorating the movie musical for sort of bringing back the movie musical. So, you know, I was telling Ben before this, you know, you don't see that film version of Phantom of the Opera or Les Mis or Mamma Mia or, uh, I mean, you don't get La La Land without those movies. You don't get Dream Girls. You don't get uh, Hairspray without this movie. Which, which, I mean, that's a, what? I said, did burlesque come out in the 2000s? You don't get burlesque. Burlesque is a big one that they're like, you don't get burlesque without this. And it was kind of seen as like, Moulin Rouge came out, then burlesque came out. And because those were both very successful movies, movie musicals kind of jumpstarted back. Um, I think it's really interesting that this movie's credited with that. But if you look up just the movie Moulin Rouge, one of the suggested, uh, like, you know how Google will give you, like, suggested questions about something? Mm-hmm. One of the suggested questions is, why do people hate Moulin Rouge? So I think it's interesting that, you, that we've kind of seen a sort of shift in, like, the mentality of this movie because it came out, was insanely popular, reinvigorated the movie musical genre, and now people kind of have this i dislike it but also you get the stage musical which is the exact same story but is wildly successful um again aaron tavette best actor uh that year so i mean what 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 do y'all think about that i mean in in talking about how this movie was able to because I don't think that this is a great movie. I don't. I think the music is great, but I think the story is a very basic stock story with dumb characters, like absurdly dumb characters. Uh, but it's got great set design. It's got great costume design uh, and great music. And even I kind of struggle with, I don't see how this was the one that kind of brought the movie musical back. But what do y'all think? Yeah. So I, 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 go, ahead. go ahead. Okay. I I think it is just more about the energy of it. And um, even if some people don't, I think a lot of people liked it being a movie jukebox musical thing. They were just hearing songs that were, um popular and they're like this thing's zany it's popping like visually and so i think it was just a very fun movie minus the fact that it's sad too but i think just that energy that it brought was really what sold it because i don't think it was the story the story was just based off of um la traviata the fallen woman in italian it's just an opera and according to google that is a tragic tale about a uh Parisian or Parisian someone from yeah. Parisian Parisian thank you um, a tragic tale about a Parisian courtesan Violetta who attempts to leave the life she knows behind and attempt to finally find true love so anyway it's based off of that um, the musical spectacularly spectacular that they do is pretty much just supposed to be that opera and um, so yeah the story like you said it kind of a stock story they just kind of took that and they're like all right let's slap some music on this 
so yeah i don't think that the coherency of the story and the um originality on the characters or how things happen is what draws an audience i think it is particularly just that it is weird which at least attracts attention and that even if it's debatable the music was utilized really well depending on who you ask so i think it came down to the style and the music yeah, and I would agree. Uh, I don't think that this movie set the stage for these other movie musicals because it was an amazing movie um, or because it was anything groundbreaking. I think it set the stage because, like, in terms of, uh, like, I guess modernizing the movie musical, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you see a lot of bright colors. Um, it feels like a stage play in a movie, even though it was not previously a stage play, which I think kind of helped draw people in. It was something that was unique uh, at the time. And because it was so well-received, that opened up the doors for your 2012 Les Mis, your uh, Mamma Mia, your La La Land. And now you're in the Heights, Tick, Tick, Boom, and West Side Story. And I think also, I think it's worth mentioning that, you know, this is clearly a movie that was made as a movie first Mm -hmm. and a musical second. Um, And I think that, I think that's a big reason as to why this movie sort of catapulted that genre, because in modernizing it, it took the focus off of, uh, you know the the mid to late 70s and early 80s you know they started to experiment a little with a little bit of that um let's focus more on this as a movie than focusing on it as a uh adaptation of, as an adaptation of a musical um and this sort of cemented itself it was like no we're gonna be a movie first we'll be a great musical too but we're gonna be a good movie first and I think at that point, you just kind of come down to whether or not you think Baz Luhrmann makes good movies. I personally think he's a hair mess guy, but, um, but yeah. Mm. Yeah, no, no argument here. Hit or miss is right. Hit for me, miss for uh, Ben. Unclear for Doug. It's a 50% mess for me. Like, like for so a 50% real, like, hit. 50% hit, 50% mess. Like <laughs> I said, hot. like I said, he's a 50-50 director. And so I will say, I, I don't hate the movie. Um, but the things that I don't like about the movie, I really hate them. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. Oh, but yeah. Ran- random fact out of left field. Um, that green absinthe fairy played by Kylie. Minogue. Minogue. Um, the scream whenever her eyes turn red and they go into the Moulin Rouge, that scream is delivered by Ozzy Osbourne. Just another fact that I remember. Another random fact, because because we're on a random fact spree right now. Um, uh, Baz Luhrmann requested that Courtney Love audition for this movie, even though he had even though he had no intention of casting her as Satine, but he wanted to get the rights to It Smells Like Team Spirit or Teen mm-hmm. Spirit, and he had to get. And he had to like be in her good graces to do that. And yeah, you got it. Smells like Teen Spirit. Yeah, he did it. And I don't remember if I defended it or not. I love it when it goes in Smells Like Teen Spirit there. That was in that giant chaotic part of the beginning. At first I was like, 
what's happening and then all of a sudden it goes and then they're all doing the thing with the top hats and i go okay i like it it's a good time it's weird but i'm a i think big grunge guy i think in terms of adaptations of it smells like teen spirit I think it falls below uh, the Muppet movies version. So when they um, have the bar so, truck. Yes. Up, yes. Uh, um, Jack Black. Yeah. And Jack Black He's talks about how they're butchering the song. Yeah. Oh, Muppet 2011, by the way, is another top 10 movie for me. It's a collection. Hey, hey, it's okay. in my top 20. It's in my top nice. 20. Oh, geez. So I wonder if I need to watch this. You do. That that's a full complete movie. They, they did well. So I think the last Muppets movie I saw was Muppets in Space, oh, okay, so uh, which came out seen, around the same you time. Seen, like the, um, like the really Rooster. good ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I remember seeing Muppets in Space uh, because it was the second movie I ever saw in theaters uh, following Star Wars: The Phantom Menace, and those were two wildly different movie going experiences. <laughs> but in the same, as my parents can time. attest to. They're they're like the same thing, really. Nope. Uh, say in Muppets in Space, uh, a line that was uttered by me during the movie was "Finally, some action." Nice. <laughs> I haven't seen the movie since, so I don't know how that was uh, applicable. But yeah. um, what's it called? Oh, while we're um going back to you guys saying songs taking you guys out of the movie, um, how were you guys with "Like a Virgin" with Jim Broadbent? doing his thing i would like to point out weird that i knew that that song was in the movie the first time i watched it and i forgot that it had like as soon as it was over like it was erased from my memory mm-hmm. and then i watched it again and he started going into his whole like dialogue about how like satine's like a virgin um, when and you i touch her. and i had this very weird moment of like oh yeah they do a cover of like a virgin mm-hmm. and then the movie and then the music like happened like they sang like a virgin a very like weird like uh carnival-esque mm-hmm. uh uh vaudeville-esque manner um and that was over and it was like it was erased from my mind again so i forgot about it until you just mentioned it again yeah you see <laughs> i think it's the least relevant scene in the entire movie however which is interesting because there are a Again, lot of I, scenes that are not relevant. We're talking about the things where I'm not biased on after seeing it so many times. The first time I saw that, I loved that. And I don't know why. Maybe it was their little harmony at the end whenever they're on the table. He's like, like a boom. And it sounds good. Yeah. But man, I don't know. I don't know what drew me in so deep, but I'm glad it did. It's well, so I mean, let's let's be real. Because that song comes up right it's right before Roxanne. Yep. And, and I, think, go on. I think, I think it's that's the reason. Way. I think that's the reason that it kind of got drowned out in my head because Roxanne that's is a, a show stopping number. Banger in this, in this movie. I love mm-hmm. the, look, I love the police's version of Roxanne. I kind of have a, I kind of love Tango to Roxanne a little more than the police's version. No um, arguments here. I do too. Yeah, uh, and you get the show must go on, which that's a cover of a David Bowie song. Queen, right? it's Queen. Queen. Gotcha. Yeah. And Freddie Mercury belts that thing by do like Moulin Rouge, uh, Moulin Rouge's uh, like Broadway interpretation of it. Yeah, or opera. It, it fits. Version. It fits, yeah. especially like I feel like that's the one that I feel like that's the song that feels like it 
belongs in this musical. Yeah, the, the music most. definitely matches the time period on that one. Yeah. And the general style. And Jim Broadbent. By the way, as soon as I saw him on the screen, the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, that's Professor Slughorn, isn't it? So apparently that man's versatile. He's good. But yeah, I think his voice really carried on throughout the movie, too. Like any of the time he was like announcing something like, like on with the show and his voice. It it haunts me in my brain because of the way he says it, but also I enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, 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 definitely. So he's he's a good he's a good, good acting. Definitely. Definitely, definitely. Man. Uh, I feel like we would be remiss without just kind of touching once again. The acting on this in this movie is stellar. It's phenomenal. And I really hate the fact that Ewan McGregor like didn't win anything for for his role in this because he is fantastic. Nicole Kidman got a Golden Globe for her mm-hmm. performance. Um, I need to say who Ewan McGregor was up against. Um Maybe you keep talking on that. But I think Shrek, because it was 2001. That could be it. And Shrek like blew everyone away. Yeah. Um, But but I was kidding because animated got their own thing. That did win animated picture of the year, though. Not for acting, though. I mean, acting, it can be the same thing. And I feel like Mike Myers. Wait, actors can go against cartoon characters? Yeah. You know that? Oh, no, I did not. I don't watch the Academy Awards, really. I just look at the winner most of the time. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but no, I think that, um, I think Nicole Kidman and Ewan McGregor both turn, both turn in fantastic performances. Like we said earlier, they have great mm-hmm. chemistry. Um, yes, they do. Cause, uh, cause like, we don't know why they were in love besides them just singing to her and it was still very convincing. So we know their chemistry yeah. was good. Yeah. And okay, also so the first award that I found that Ewan McGregor was actually nominated for was Best Actor in a Leading Role in the Australian Film Institute 2001 Awards. Uh, and the winner of that was Anthony La Paglia in Lantana. Oh, and Best Actor in 2001 at um, American Awards was Russell Crowe in Gladiator, which, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, was also the movie of the year. Yeah, it was. It was. Um. Have you seen Gladiator? I think so. I have. I've, I've seen either Gladiator or 300. I don't remember which one. Okay, they're very different. Donnie Darko was that year? Ooh, good year. Pearl yeah, Harbor. It was, yeah, I just looked up the I just looked up the list. Like, like I said that, and then I looked up the list. I was like, oh no, 2001 was like a really good year. There were a movies. lot of things happening. There Harry were a Potter lot of really good things happening movie-wise in 2001. <clears throat> um but yeah, they both were great. Jim Broadbent really brings the energy. That's um, all I'm saying. Love as it. as uh, Ziggler. Ziggler. Um, Richard Roxborough. Who's that? Uh, the Duke. Oh, okay, gotcha. Um, it's a choice. It's it's a choice. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't find him threatening in the slightest. But you it's know, it's a little bit funny. When he when he explodes and he's just like and he just says, I just don't like other people touching my things. At that point, I was like, I don't really find you threatening, dude. Mm, but his manservant Claude's the threat. His manservant <laughs> is very threatening, <laughs> mainly because he has a gun. 
Um, Doesn't say a word the whole movie. Yeah, yeah. And uh, John Leguizamo, I don't know I what him. he was. I don't know what he was on in this movie. I I liked it, but you know, you need to see that man in Romeo and Juliet '96. He is awesome. I love how John Leguizamo has, in his career, run the gambit from just award-winning like greatness. Uh, the man has a Tony. He's I think he's got an Oscar. Um, and he's done like these high art movies, but at the same time, he's done stuff like this and the Super Mario Brothers movie, mm-hmm. which are just weird. Uh, the two of them are just very weird. And now he he doesn't have like a resurgence, but like uh, people are like obsessed with Bruno from Encanto. Um, you know, he don't say anything. I haven't seen it yet. He was big in our childhoods. He was big in our childhoods uh, as Sid the Sloth uh, before we even knew who John John Leguizamo was. Like, shout out to John. And then we learned that the man just has a lisp. It wasn't him doing a character for Sid. I mean, it was. Like, like for real, you know, if if this podcast were forced to become a Stan account for any uh, celebrity, John Leguizamo could not be a better choice. Mm. I'm just saying. I feel go, like there would be a lot of actors on that movie, list, though. Watch him play as Tybalt, and you'll be like, I love this man more. Man. Oh, I love John Leguizamo. He's just weird in this movie for me, but... He hates the Montagues as he hates hell itself. Oh. Alrighty, well. He says something like that. I know Shakespeare. Okay. Well, we're not here to talk about Shakespeare. We're here to talk about Moulin Rouge. And boys, I think it's time we score this sucker. Yes, sir. Let's do it. So, Doug, why don't you get us started? I am going to give Moulin Rouge a 63. I think this is a uh, I think this is a tricky movie to judge, to score, because I think the music is great. I think the performances are great. I think the design is great. I just don't love the story or the cinematography. But Mm -hmm. overall, I... I do like more things in this movie than I dislike. So, okay. And so I'm kind of in a similar vein. Uh, I'm going to go a little bit lower. I'm going to give this a 60. Um, I think this movie is really, really over the top, which works in some places, like with the set design, the costumes, et cetera. Uh, but there's also sometimes it doesn't work really well. Like at the end, when the gun gets knocked out of the Duke's hand and it's in the air for 30 minutes, where it flies out a window, bounces off of the Eiffel Tower. It was just the, uh, yeah, sixty. And then Logan, I'll, I'll let you skew us. <laughs> um, I won't skew you as much as you would think for a third favorite movie, though. Um, yeah, my top three is interesting as far as how I would score things. Um, like uh, I'm making Spider-Man two. I gave like a ninety-five or something. I would I would stand by that because I love that one and I think it's a great movie. My first favorite movie, Armageddon would probably get lower than what I'm about to give Moulin Rouge, even though that's my favorite movie, because I don't think it's like one of the best movies. I just love it. No, that's totally fair. That's so it's totally a similar fair. vein for Moulin Rouge where it's one of my favorites. So it still is worth an A, but it's right there. It's a 90. I give it a 90 for mm-hmm. um, fantastic music, making me as emotionally uh, invested as the best of them with movies. But like we said, 
it's a bit of a lacking story. And so even though everything else carries that on its shoulders, a good story, I think is worth making up at least 10%. So right. it's a 90% well, I, for me. All righty. Well, after plugging that into our patented scoreometer, uh, we have a final score of a 71. So this movie just barely passes. Neato. In short, see this movie um, and <laughs> see. remember and remember that you too can play uh, Come What May at your wedding. But just remember that Doug you said he was going to do it another first. Wedding? Wow. Like, <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's awesome. I want that. Thinking about the South Park version of Bono, though, where he's walking down, the, <laughs> he's walking up the aisle, he's just going, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah." <laughs> I'm familiar. I'm yeah. not. I'm also not um, familiar with the movie that we're watching next week. Well, uh, what you know is what, it? Ben? It's okay because we got some good stuff cooking up over here on Sagan Skein for next week. Oh, right, I oh, I had that planned five Ooh. minutes ago. Because next week, folks, we are watching the 2000, I think, 14 yep. uh, smash hit uh, directed and starring and uh, by. the man, the myth, and written by the man, the myth, the legend, John Favreau. Uh, we are watching Chef next week, and I'm so excited because these boys haven't seen it yet. Logan, have you seen it? No, I have not. I'm looking at the cast right now. Well, so looking at the box office, I would say semi-smash hit. Uh, it has really good ratings, though. Okay. Really good ratings. People. Like I mean, movie. it didn't do poorly in the box office in terms of gross, but like. I think it also was released simultaneously on Netflix. I don't know. Um, it also so didn't have a massive I, budget, so that helped it out. Movie. Yeah. It's great, though. I'm really excited. We've got a fun guest plan for next week, so that we should do. be a good time. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah. Logan, it's always good to have you on the podcast. Uh, thank you so much for coming back on to talk about something that wasn't Spider-Man oh, yeah. uh, or Howard the Duck. Um, two totally different things, but also... We can always revisit Howard. Logan, weren't you also on Boss Baby? No. No. That was Tristan. Oh. No, I saw you that watched one. watched Boss Baby, though. <laughs> I, I did see it. Yeah. Yeah. The movie's... Oh, and I did watch it with y'all. You're right. Okay. Yeah, at Mandyland. Oh, yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, we watched mm-hmm. it at Mandyland. Um, yep. But, uh, but yeah, Logan, thanks so much for being back on, buddy. Yeah, it's always a pleasure, of course. We always love having you on. But uh, in the meantime, all you people listening, thank you, first of all, for listening. Um, be sure to keep up with all the cool stuff that we do on social media. Uh, at Vitamin Media, we've got new episodes of Setting the Skeen every Wednesday. Uh, T is on a hiatus right now, but it'll be back one day. Uh, yeah. But yeah, until next week, uh, this has been Setting the Skeen, uh, where we talked about Moulin Rouge. Uh, be sure to join us next week as we talk about Chef. And until next week, I'm Ben. I'm Doug. I'm Logan. And this has been Setting the Skeen. You guys have a great week. <laughs>